0: Welcome to Beneath Your Beautiful, where guests share stories of adversity and perseverance, which inspire, encourage, and challenge us. We embrace these tough conversations, intimately exploring our loves, fears, and hopes with a delicious combination of depth and lightness.
1: My name is Nicole Ashley Kerr, and I just recently published a book that took me 13 years to write called You Are Deathless. A Near-Death Experience Taught Me How to Fully Live and Not Fear Death. And this was about a car crash that I was in when I was 19 years old and pronounced dead at the scene and my memory coming back 19 years later and then taking another 20 years to actually align my body to get the message out that spirit gave me way back then.
0: You remembered what 20 years later or 19 years later?
1: the actual crash and what happened in between the crash and waking up in the ICU.
0: Oh, okay. And you were pronounced dead?
1: Yes, at the scene. So the only thing that I had remembered was bright white lights. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the, I would say the most common symptoms that people with near-death experiences have. Raymond Moody, who coined the term near-death experience, talks about that in his book. It's this Clear white light that is not blinding. It's not like a deer in the headlight kind of thing, but it's very soothing and protective. It's like you're in this cocoon of bright white light. That's all I remember. And I remember years later asking my surgeon, I said, could that have been the operating room lights? And she said, no, Nicole, you were unconscious for 12 hours. So uh, no, this was something beyond the realm that you experienced. And that beyond the realm didn't come back to me until 19 years later when I was working in Atlanta at the Centers for Disease Control. And I stopped by Starbucks, got my coffee, and boom, I remembered how I was sitting in the Corvette convertible. And then I went to my chiropractor instead of work, and we, he worked on me. and And I'm like, are you kidding me? 19 years later, this is coming up? And he said, yeah, he said, your body now finally feels safe enough and you have the support. And those are the two key pieces, I think, for people out there that have suffered traumas and they go, you know, well, I just have a blank spot there. I don't remember anything. I think, A, you have to do enough work within your body and embody emotions enough to know that you're going to be stable enough to handle it. And it's not going to throw you into the psych unit, you know, so to speak. And also that you have support around you that's going to help you move through the memories that are coming up because they're going to be traumatic and you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. So if you don't have those, in my opinion, two key pieces in your life, You're not going to have that full experience.
0: I know so many people who are afraid of death, most young people, for sure. Are you not afraid of death?
1: Not anymore, but it took me a long time. And I will tell you, in my opinion, your concept of God is related to how you fear death. Because I was born, oh, I was raised in the South, okay? So you've got the Bible Belt, Jackson, Mississippi, and very religious in the terms of my dad was Southern Baptist, my mother was Lutheran. So we had a lot of church growing up. And both churches talk about God, but they were in a dualistic concept. So God was loving and protective and your father in heaven and all these wonderful things. And there were also rules besides the Ten Commandments that if you did not follow the rules, that you would be judged, you would be criticized, and the wrath of God would come upon you. And if you were really bad, you would go to a place called hell. And in that place, you would be eternally separated from God and your family. So you grow up as a child living in constant fear. Because the worst thing for a child is to be abandoned by their family. And so for most of us, we're trying to be a good person so that that doesn't happen. And if you have an experience as a child where you do something really bad and someone tells you that you're going to hell or that, that can lead you to believe that the rest of your life. So you're going to just go ahead and do bad things anyway, because there's no redemption, right? So you can see how you can go either path. I became a people pleaser, and I think that is an issue with a lot of people in our society. You're never going to say what you want to believe because you're always going to tell the other person what you think that they want to hear. And at the end of the day, you're going to gain nothing from it. So I think that is a very big element of fearing death is what you grew up with and what you currently believe as your concept of God. I don't believe that anymore. I call that a vending machine concept where you put in the right behavior, you punch the button, and boom, you're supposed to get this reward. And when I did die at 19, that was the concept of God I had while I was at the Air Force Academy. That's where this accident happened. I was a sophomore there and I feared God. So I died having that fear. So I have come back now. And had to go through a spiritual transformative experience to realize that that is not, in my opinion, and in my experience on the other side, who, what is God? It's not a person up there keeping a list of whether you're good or bad or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It is an energy of love. And there's nowhere that God is not. God is not separate from you. God is within you, me, we are all eternal sparks of God. And that's why in my book, I talk about the 10 common lessons from NDEs, because I was trained as a scientist. and went and worked at the Centers for Disease Control. I wanted to see what the science had said about this body of evidence they have. And the first one is we don't die. OK, and that means that our soul lives on forever. So when we do die, this physical body, yes, it does decay and die, but we have an energy body as well. And that energy body splits open when we die and our soul is released. And that is what lives on. Mm-hmm. So it's understanding that you have to come up with your own concept of God that works for you and have that relationship. and. I think I grew up and a lot of people around me grew up in these theologies that scared you. They filled you with fear and churches did that in order to control you. And it worked. Start asking the questions, you know, what is my concept of God mm-hmm. or, or source or whatever you want to call it that's greater than you?
0: I grew up with non-practicing Jewish parents. And so I didn't have any religious upbringing at all. I remember when I was going through a divorce, I think I was 34 years old and I was working at a company and I started getting involved in their church. The church was so all about God's love and it was really a beautiful experience. And I remember a a friend said, that is so weird that you didn't grow up fearing God. And I really love that my experience with God, or my introduction to him anyway, was not God-fearing, but a loving God. But also, I don't know what I believe, but I'm not afraid of death. So in your opinion, you keep talking about God or a higher power or something. I don't know if that's the key because I don't know what I believe, but also I don't fear death.
1: Do you believe you have a soul?
0: Yes, I believe everything like I believe nothing. I mean, it could be true. That's how I think about religion. I think I have a soul because I lost my mother when I was 18 and I feel like I have felt her over the years. And so I believe that she's somehow some energy exists. I see what you're saying on that. I just had a cancer scare and I thought about death for the first time, like really thought about it, like, mm-hmm. oh, what would it mean if I die? I had one day we're like, oh, oh shit, <laughs> I
1: could die. Yeah, it's a wake up call.
0: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's a wake-up call. But once I thought about death more, I talk about it so much and I talk to people who are dying and I take pictures of people who are dying. I was so happy that I had a peace with it, that it is a part of life. It's the cycle of life. We're all gonna die. And I find it fascinating that we are afraid of something that's gonna happen.
1: Yeah. And that's part of my mission. Why I call myself, I coined this term eternality advocate. And that's to let people know that that soul part of us does go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree with you in that as a writer, almost every book that's written about death, it's cloaked in this veil of doom and gloom. And death is this cloud of depression and negativity around it throughout our culture and society. And then if you took a look at our Halloween holiday or event, it's all about death in a really scary, fearful, negative way. Right. People mm-hmm. raising up out of coffins and skeletons and it really scares people, you know. So my own experience, along with hundreds of thousands of other people, is 100 percent different experience. And that's that death is absolute beauty. We are pure beauty and light and this loving kindness. I've had an eating disorder. I know what it means to binge and feel the shame of it and feel how much I hated myself. And that's the complete opposite of loving yourself, right? So you have to really work through that and understand that root of why do I hate myself so much? Well, I was blamed for my wreck by my father, even though another guy was driving, it was clearly his fault. But my father said I broke his rules. I had alcohol, I had a cigarette, and I was in a car with an older cadet. And by doing those three things, I'm 19 years old, okay? I lived a very sheltered life, didn't go on a date, but yet I'm going to school with 4,000 guys, okay? And I'm not supposed to date any of them. One time I have fun, boom. That piece for me that I had to really work with is that fun is not going to be something that's going to harm me again. Yeah. I can go have fun without it resulting in something life-threatening. Yeah, We get these belief systems put in place, and if you don't get the help you need, along the way, they get really encoded into the body and you will do everything yourself, first and foremost, to keep yourself safe. Right. When the crash happened, some bystanders saw it and called 911. The first responders got there between 10 to 13 minutes after the call. They came out, the bystanders, looked at me. The driver was conscious and had some injuries on his back but he was drunk but conscious and they couldn't get any, any vitals on me. So they went in and got a blanket and covered me up. The EMT that got there, John, uncovered me with the blanket, couldn't get any vitals, did this procedure they call a sternal knuckle press, which is designed to elicit pain in the body. My right eyelid flickered and the pupil dilated. Now, have you ever heard the phrase Our eyes are the windows to the soul. Yeah. At that moment, my soul, which had flown out when I went through the windshield because my energy body had cracked and it released it. And I went up and this angel came and took me up. But when I came back, that's how my soul came back through my body was through my eye. That's the only sign of life he got. And then he was able to get a blood pressure of 60 over zero. Now. For those of you who don't know, a normal blood pressure is 120 over 80. So 60 over zero, you're still not doing good. All right. <laughs> so it was then seven weeks in ICU, six major operations. I coded in a, another operation and I remember pieces of it. But I will tell you, the healing process is not linear and it still continues because last week, I had an incident that triggered at me, and I remember exactly what happened in the operating room. I tried to go back to the other side, and my angel James would not let me. He said, you are here. You need to stay in their body. But I was having so many issues with my physical body that I actually, they called the time on me in the operating room, and I was a goner. Oh, wow. two minutes later, my heart on its own, boom, 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 boom. So I was meant to be here when I went over the first time, 19 years later, when the message came to me, I was a soul form. I was not in my body. I could look down and see my corpse. Okay. I could see the way I was lying in a ditch. My head was to the side. I had really bad road rash on uh, my face. My foot was cut off. I had all, I was all twisted and mangled. Okay. It was not a pretty scene. Later I could describe this as Casper, the ghost. It was male. It was in his young thirties. I had all of those pieces, but it wasn't until after I published the book in August that my grandfather came to me in a meditation. And he said, I was your angel. And my grandfather died at 58. And he died in August, in late August. And he came to me in late August when I'm 58 years old Mm. and tells me this. And Mm -hmm. he has been with me by my side ever since. He was with me in the operating room. He was with me when my lungs filled up on these other times. These things do happen. And you can't can't make this stuff up. You know, you just can't. Mm -hmm. But I could hear other spirits and other angelic beings and other angels on the other side. There's so many uh, entities over there on the spiritual side of things that want to help us. They said that we as humans need to ask for their help. So if we want something in our lives, need something, communicate. We all have at least one guardian angel. Every single human has at least one, whether you want to believe it, connect to it or not, we all have that offered to us and they are with us. So they want us to ask for help and not just when you're in a crisis time, develop that relationship. And the second message I got was, I was told I was going back and I said, no, I do not want to get back in that body because A, I knew it was going to be physically painful and there's going to be a lot of suffering. I was going to endure a lot because I was never gonna have that body that made it through the competence course, the assault course, that body was gone. This wasn't gonna be lucky to walk, okay? So I was gonna be dealing with a disabled handicapped body. Second of all, I was gonna be back in an infantile state. So I couldn't go to the bathroom. I was gonna be basically going back home and my mother was gonna be re-raising me again, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm back into the Lutheran church, the Baptist church, but all my friends are away at college. So I'm just alone with my mother, basically, you know, but I'm having to do whatever my parents, I'm back in that environment. I didn't get to find my own identity. And the third part was I disappointed my father. And that meant I disappointed God, the father, if I disappointed my earthly father, and that he would never forgive me. And that meant my mother would not forgive me because she believes what my dad believes. So here I am. I'm never going to be able to get their love and attention and forgiveness, no matter what I did. And so why go back to a family that doesn't love me? So that's why I didn't want to come back. Yeah. And my eating disorder lasted 20 years. So I was 40 years old and got married. It was horrible because at the root of that was the the shame and the hate that I had toward myself for making quote a stupid decision of getting in the car with someone who was drunk. But I will tell you this the universe brings you what you need when you need it. My roommate, who quit the Air Force Academy that December, I had not talked to her in 38 years. I found her on Facebook and her and the two other female cadets from our squadron, who we got on a Zoom call last May. And when I saw her, she said, Nicole, I'm so sorry. I caused the crash. I caused the accident. I said, what are you even talking about, Margaret? And she said, we'd agreed we would ride back together to the academy. And when you asked me for a ride back, I told you that another senior cadet was drunk and I was going to drive his car back for him. And I really liked him. And I didn't want you to go with us. I wanted to be alone with him. There was one other cadet left. And I told you to go ride back with him. And you told me while he's been drinking And I told you, oh, that's okay. They've all been drinking. You're going to be fine. I'll see you back at the academy. And she said, Nicole, you never came back. And she said, I couldn't live with the guilt. And she said to this day, it haunts me that if I would have just let you in the car and driven you back like we agreed upon, both of our lives would have been so different. I never remembered that part. And she never told me. And I said, why didn't you ever ever tell me? And she goes, because I thought you were angry at me Mm. this whole time and you never wanted to speak to me again. I didn't even remember it to be able to do that. Make sure that you're not interpreting something that the story is not just on you because she's blaming herself. I'm blaming myself and neither one of us was to blame.
0: Yeah. How did your parents handle it?
1: My mother made an agreement with the God of her understanding, and that was she was going to be a missionary for the triple miracle that I am. And she told me that I was supposed to be doing that, too. Mm -hmm. And almost 40 years later, I have finally pieced it all together for me. And it's not their concept of God. They think I have it wrong. They really believe there's a wrong and a right. And so we do
0: not talk. Unfortunately, we have no relationship. I really wish that wasn't true about religion. I understand that we all have our understanding of it and it's okay for that to be true. Yeah.
1: Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged and you're judging me. And that actually is one of the 10 common lessons from NDEs is on the other side, you're not judged. How refreshing is that? And if we could learn to do that on earth, You yourself, not judge yourself for what you're thinking, what you're feeling and how you're behaving to just love yourself in that moment and not judge. Think how free you would feel.
0: Even though I'm not religious at all, I like, though, that you were raised with religion. And even though it was conflicting and you had some negative messages, that your go-to is still your relationship with whatever your God is. I'm glad that it hasn't turned you off completely to the idea that there is love out there,
1: oh, absolutely not. And that that beingness is in charge because mm-hmm. I certainly didn't bring my heart back to being. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't bring my soul back. I didn't do any of that. I want you to know there is hope. When someone around us that we love and care about or that we don't even know affects us, we still go through the emotions of grief and suffering. And we need to be mindful of that, but also of the greater context in which death is about.
0: When I wasn't sure about my results from this breast cancer scare, I was totally okay with dying. And my sister was not okay discussing it at all. She was like, well, you're not going to lose a baby sister. I just wish we were all more open to discussing it because it's going to happen and it doesn't have to be so scary.
1: And she only loses the physicality of talking to you. It's like turning your back and not ever being able to see that person physically again. But in spirit form, you can communicate with them.
0: I've lost my mother when I was 18. I'm 55 and I've had my mother this whole time. I just know that I have my mother with me. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Beneath Your Beautiful, hosted by Hara Allison. And thank you for your ratings and reviews. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Stay tuned.